Hey everyone, welcome to Savage to Sage, where we explore the evolution of entrepreneurs. In this show, we hear from leaders on the challenges and breakthroughs that have shaped them on their journey toward becoming a sage. Welcome back to Savage to Sage. This is Daniel, the host, and today I have the joy of being joined by Todd Howard. He's the president at Halo Senior Solutions. Welcome, Todd. Thanks, Daniel. Appreciate being here. So, Todd, I love to start just getting the skinny on what is Halo Senior Solutions, if you were to give like a quick elevator pitch to somebody. Yeah, Halo Senior Solutions is a concierge move manager service for senior and senior family members when uh, senior age clients are making a later in life move, typically a downsize from a home they've been in a long time to more of a retirement community independent living, assisted living, that type of a situation, uh, Halo will oversee uh, every aspect of the move. And so that's what the service is. That's awesome. Having helped my grandparents through something, I think it was about, must have been like eight years ago um, when they were transitioning from the last home that they lived in independently to assisted living. I know how big of an ordeal that is. And so I was just the heavy lifter, you know, when when it was all said and done. But my parents were largely involved in that process, and that was a big ordeal. So I can see why you guys exist. Yeah, it, it, same for me. The actual uh, genesis of the idea was me reflecting. We did the same thing, moved a, a grandmother, my grandmother. And this is about 20, almost 25 years ago from her house that she'd been in three decades to uh, a memory care type uh, place for Alzheimer's. And so I remember my mom and her sisters uh, converging on the house for what seemed like three or four months every weekend, nonstop, uh, till we finally got grandma moved. And, you know, when I started Halo a few years ago, eight years ago, actually, that was part of the, the genesis was, I wonder how much easier it's gotten now that we have, you know, internet and smartphones and, you know, so much of our world was different, you know, than 25 years ago, I thought, surely that's gotten so much easier. And after some research, what I found was really nothing had changed. So it was that that was my impetus for saying, I'm going to try and make that easier. Yeah, that was my next question was like, why are you diving into that and, you know, creating a company around it? And so you just answer the question. But I also think it takes, you know, a particular amount of, you know, courage and then self-awareness too to say like I'm going to create a business around this problem. So like what was it for you that pushed you over the edge, you know, to also make, put a business around it? Uh probably a little bit of 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 dumb luck and and chutzpah, like you said, <laughs> just to think I could be different or unique enough. You know, we started out as as kind of a real estate marketing niche. And so I said to myself, you know, I was transitioning out of corporate America career and my wife and I were having a conversation. She had been in real estate in the past. She said, I, I think you should get into real estate. And I said, it would have to be something bigger than just the transactional part. And then a, a series of things happened over the course of a week. And my brother happens to be in that industry, uh, the the assisted living and, and retirement community. 
And I was asking him some questions just about the future of it and, and the grandma scenario I relayed earlier. And it gave me the idea, kind of the spark to say, well, well as a real estate agent, you're going to have to choose a niche anyway. If you're good at what you do, you're going to have to focus on something. I thought, you know, this is crazy enough for me to think that you can focus on it. And, you know, at this time, the NAR, National Association of Realtors, only had one designation that was for seniors. It's called a senior real estate specialist. Now, when I did some research, none of the agents had that. And there was a good reason none of them had it. You have to love serving and working with a senior aged client, first of all. You know, I think if we're all pretty candid with each other, sometimes our grandparents or our parents, if they're elderly, can drive you nuts. So there was a reason a lot of agents didn't flock to to serving a senior age client. And so I looked at it and said, well, there's an opening there. And, you know, statistically, I think we all know now that there is a, a silver tsunami, if you will, that, that's coming to us over the next two, three, four decades so I knew the, the market potential would be there. So I just thought, you know what, let's let's start out this path and see what we get. So, you know, we started making you know, the savage part of this is I knew nothing about seniors. It was literally going to be go knock on doors and get your education. So, you know, I would try and do five doors a day for the first year minimum, just visiting every kind of retirement community that was in the Indianapolis market independent living, assisted living, memory care, you name it, and just throw myself at the mercy, uh, ask them questions, tell them this is what I'm trying to do. This is what I'm trying to create. And so fortunately, they were very eager to teach and, and very cool to the idea of, yeah, that seems like it should be something you guys should serve and, and build. So we got good support and encouragement, just learning I think more than anything, it was the the business part of it was the, you know, there is a good market here. The the heart part of it was, I recalled how hard it was to take care of grandma. So it touched home. And so I just thought, well, you know, the worst that can happen is, is this particular niche doesn't pan out. And I serve a, a farm community like, like many other agents I know. So fortunately for us, uh, it, it kept going in a good direction. That's awesome. Yeah. And I love that story too of you knocking on doors and just really like listening to your target market and figuring out is it's it's kind of the modern day equivalent of like you know market research which a lot of people do in a more detached way you know looking at statistics and economic trends but you you went in and dove into like who are these people what do they really need to to direct you know how you developed your product and service yeah, Daniel, for us, fortunately, you know, I didn't start this business when I was in my 20s or even 30s. I'm old enough to have, you know, appreciated a life before computers. And so, you know, <laughs> when you were selling in the old days, it was door to door. That's the way you got information. There was no internet to just sit and Google on. So for me to think, how do I get the information, right, wrong, or indifferent, my first inclination was actually go see them go see them and go ask them. I just thought, you know, that would be the Harvard MBA that I, I need and they'll give it to me. I guess I could have probably sped up, you know, some of my process by using the internet a little more, but that's, that's the way I did it. And so uh, for us, you know, back to your earlier question, you know, how did we know we had anything or, 
you know, how does one even think this could be a concept? I knew that if I saw enough of those people belly to belly, face to face, they would let us know whether we were crazy or not. So I, I knew, you know, even if it wasn't instantly successful, I would filter through enough Q&A and enough of that research for them to help me, you know, figure out whether this is an idea that had legs or not. So, yeah, for us, you know, I started out geez, right after college and copiers at a time where, you know, it was literally 40 doors a day. So for me, going and knocking on a few doors is like breathing. Uh, there's just no challenge to it, but it was uh, invaluable as far as that first year, that first year and a half. So you, you described this story, describing a little bit of like the Savage Day, but Savage Days, I should say, in that season of like what we think of as the early days to really stand something up. What would you say was like there was an event or maybe like a personal or professional test that really became like a teacher for you or really shaped you in those early days of like, I know I need to do this now, or we need to set this up. Yeah. Good question. I think, I think for me, it's probably a story that's familiar to every salesperson ever. And that's just timing, you know, timing meets opportunity. We would, you know, we'd have a target to, to go visit so many doors a day, try and either do drop-ins or get appointments. We'd convey our message and our, our value proposition. And we'd get a lot of head nods, of course, and, and you know, great idea. And, and yes, we'll keep you in mind. And then you'd try and put them on a rotation of some type to get back to them. And, and you have to think, you know, th- these buildings have a consistent flow. These communities have a consistent flow of, of people that are moving in and out just by virtue of their existence. So I knew there was activity going in and out. You know, people pass away, people's health progresses, people move, people come in. But the timing was so critical that my aha was, I think I visited one community and in the meeting, she said something to the effect of, oh, that's right. You offer, you know, XYZ service and I just moved so-and-so in and it took them three months to get in. And I was just like, that's what we've been trying to say is we could help you avoid that three months. And it was just my, my re-indoctrination that it is always about timing and need and they have to just be lined up. For me, it was, okay, well, if that's the case, how am I going to create something, whether it's a sales flow or a pattern or a marketing touch that keeps us top of mind? And so even to this day, that is a challenge for us because moving into a community like that, we always, we, we kind of talk about it. To, you reach a tipping point. You know, you probably went through this or your parents went through this with, with their parents there's a lot of people tipping or trying to tip you. I call them touches, you know, the, the adult son saying, hey, we need to do something, mom, or, or the doctor saying, hey, we need to do something. And even your spouse could be saying, geez, we need to do something. But sooner or later, whether it's a, a two-day long or a two-year long process, they reach a tipping point. If we're not there or close to them during that tipping point phase, we, we lose out on, on the transaction and on the chance to serve them. So it, it really, it, it hit home early. And, and even to this day, it's, it's still a, a hard and tough and daily lesson for us that 
we have to figure out how to keep ourselves in front of that client because timing's critical. Yeah. What about on the personal side, when you think about what you learned about yourself, maybe that you didn't know prior to jumping into this, like as, as a leader, as an entrepreneur, like what were some of those insights like around self-awareness that you learned since you started the company? Oh, gosh. Uh, and I'm sure this is one where my wife would be able to chime right in with a handful of uh, quick <laughs> answers. I think the I think one of the things out of the gate on the positive that I that I learned and I renewed was that I do have uh, a persistence gene in me. I mean, that, that was taught to me by my parents. Do it. If you're going to do it, do it right. Uh, don't do it halfway. I can definitely put my head down and hedge forward if if I need to. And that was, of course, invaluable because in the early days, there's nothing to do but go make calls because you don't have any sales. You're literally going to try and conjure something up every day. You create your own day and then you go hedgehog and dive right into it. So I, I did confirm that, that I had uh, some persistence to me. One of the things that I think I'm still learning and, and, and probably would have loved to have learned it earlier was that, you know, in, in the book Traction, you know, there's the, the integrator and the visionary. And, and I've learned since definitely Todd is the visionary, but not so much the integrator. I, I really wish I would have learned to embrace the, you know, there's got to be somebody doing, doing the things as opposed to envisioning what's next, what can change, what can grow. And so I learned and continue to learn that if that's not my strong suit, I've got to go find a partner, uh, a, a manager, a leader, a peer, a coach, somebody that can help bring that out of me uh, to complement the whole package. And so I think that's probably something I learned early on and, and even today, it, it still kind of gets impressed upon me every time I get a little too far away from, hey, you're, you're not the integrator here. It, it comes back home. So I wish I would have learned that even earlier because it's probably stalled us uh, in some of our, our momentum. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because I know a lot of the listeners like EOS is really making its way in, into a lot of entrepreneurial organizations and it's something that we practice and have practiced ourselves now at full stack for three years. That is so key to both from a self-awareness perspective of, you know, someone in your shoes recognizing this is what I am. This is what I'm not. And, you know, this is who I need alongside of me. And then once that person is alongside of you also to then, you know, really trust them. And so like what, for you, as you've brought that integrator, or maybe you have multiple integrators now alongside of you, like what have you found is like has been key for those people that you've brought on in, into that role? What are key characteristics that you found in them that have allowed you to like hand over the trust and you know to manage those aspects of the business? Yeah, great question. I think you know the first thing. <laughs> You know, people like hanging out with people that are, you know, like them. And and so the the first thing I think I, I thought of was, you know, I remember having some interviews and these were with people who are very much 
system systematic and and they have a a different you know i can be very freewheeling and off the cuff and these are people that are you know not freewheeling and off the cuff and it's just a, an enlightening and and yet uh educational interview when when you're having that chat with them to see the way they think and how they think differently uh and so you have to get i think used first of all to embracing that as hey I almost need the anti Todd. I don't. I don't need anything close to me here. You know, the first uh, first thing I thought of was that I just need to realize we're we're not fishing for another version of Todd. The second thing was making sure I had my my value system in place, the company's you know cultural statements and and value statements in place, so that I could share those with them. And again, hear their version, hear how, how that relates, how that hits them and affects them from a systematic standpoint, more so than a sales and marketing side, which was where I was at. So I think it was just refreshing to hear how they, how they verbalized it, um, how they agreed or disagreed and express some of those opinions around it. I think today I, I still, and as recent as just a month or two ago, we started an engagement with a, a coach who is strictly my integrator coach, as in how are we going to integrate this? And and I remember in the first meeting, I was just like, oh gosh, you know, this this guy, you know, he's a little this or that, or he's, you know, a little programmed. And it just takes some, I guess, some getting used to as an entrepreneur to, to figure out, hey, th- th- that's good. They're not supposed to be like me. I don't need a room of minions, so to speak. So you constantly get it. You constantly get pressed back into thinking, you know, look, there's a reason you're interviewing this person. Or, you know, it's to take you to another step. You know, we'd already be there if if you were able to accomplish all this. So figure out where your gaps are and go find that person. Yeah, that's so good. And yeah, it it just takes. And I think a lot of times people in your in your shoes have just had a really hard time, you know, finding that person. I think those folks and maybe cycled through multiple until like you find the right person. But it seems like what, I don't know if this has been your experience, but what I keep hearing over and over again is like the right people, you know, both have that complementary skill set, but they also subscribe to the why behind the company and, your overall vision for the company. And in some cases, they're like just as passionate about what you're doing as you are, maybe for the same reason, for another reason. But like, have you found folks on your team that are are just as passionate about that, you know, senior transition as you? Yeah. It, and in fact, that's a great question. Uh, we actually work that that question in or that topic into every one of our interviews. It's first and foremost, I always say you have to have a passion to serve seniors. Simply put, because once you've served one, you kind of know whether whether you have you don't necessarily have to do backflips in love with it, but you really do kind of know pretty quick whether it drives you crazy or not, whether it's it's your thing. And so I, I emphasize to any and all of our candidates, you know, can you give me some scenarios where you've either engaged with your own grandparents or part of your work life has been, you know, the servitude of, of your, you know, elders. 
And so we've really tried to work that in. And and yeah, just because I, you know, got a chance, my family got a chance to, to move a grandmother with Alzheimer's, almost all of us are touched, you know, even yourself, in, in at least two connections away by some grandparent type or some elderly type of transition, whether it's your parents or an uncle or your grandma and grandpa, we all know somebody who's who's gone through it or who's going through it. So it does give every almost everyone in the interview a chance to say, oh, yeah, I've got one of those stories. Here was mine. And then it kind of gives us the chance to help them vet out whether, you know, through a line of questioning, whether that's of interest to them, how involved they were or weren't, what they saw from it, what they took from it. So to your point, it, because it's such a common everyday theme and challenge, it, it almost there's almost no one that, that we talk to that's not close enough to it to have some experience with it. So it's refreshing to get to hear them expound on what it means to them or to see them light up a little if if they kind of realize, oh, yeah, that's that's like an industry. Like I could do something like that and it would allow me to do that. And you can see if it brings joy to them. Yeah, that's awesome that you've woven that into like the interview process. Like the other piece of that is like sustaining it over a period of time. I mean, because as you know, like, I mean, this this happened to me a couple of times where, you know, I'm interviewing folks where people interview really well and say what you want them to hear or what they want you to hear and what you want to hear. But then getting into it when once they're with you. Like, how do you, as a team, rally around like your values, your mission, and sustain that passion over a period of time? Um, we do try to have conversation around the values regularly. So, in team meetings and, and in the EOS system, there's a constant check ins and meetings that are set. There's a dialogue and a vernacular that goes with that meeting. And so, we try to use that, that same vernacular. So we're all reading from the same script. We also, you know, I, I was introduced to uh, the idea that, you know, the first 90 days or even longer is an audition, a paid audition, more than it is a probationary period. You know, we each have different phrases for how we bring people on board. And, you know, your first 90 days is a, you know, either a, a probationary time or we check this. We really just refer to it kind of as a paid audition. You know, you're auditioning because this is a role. And so that has helped us as well, again, with just the expectations and setting the expectations. And again, I think more than anything, it's just we use we use the vernacular and we, we don't shy away from the vernacular in our conversations. I, I would say from the top down, I emphasize, you know, I'm a, a believer and a Christian, and that comes out in the interview process. I make sure that people know I, I wear my belief and my Christianity on my sleeve. And uh, it's not to say that the team can't wear their beliefs and, and their faith on their sleeve. Just know that that's who I am. And that'll be a part of our regular conversations. Uh, we just try and set a, a real life tone for what they should expect and what they'll see. So the interview is as real as the day-to-day work, so to speak. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. I like that 
concept of the audition period. That's something we've woven into. We've brought on a number of new people at Full Stack, the 30, 60, 90 day review during that audition period. And then also, you know, what's key to that is having very specific, you know, what we call metrics of success um, that, you know, will help for us and for them to see like this, this audition period is predictive of your, you know, your long-term success in the role by hitting, hitting these metrics as well. And as you know, I mean, some roles are really hard to, to put metrics to, to quantify, but I think as long as we also try to frame it, I don't know if you do this as well, but frame it as it's, it's an audition for us as well of like, are we the right company for you? It's not just prove yourself in this role, but like, is this the right like company fit for you too? Absolutely. So have you navigated that as well? Yes. And, and that's a great point. That is absolutely, and that's a great way to phrase it. This is, you know, we're both auditioning. You know, we're in, a, like I said, I'm, I'm old enough now to have seen some decades of work and, and the workplace has changed. So, uh, and changed for the better in a lot of ways. And so we really approach the whole interview process as, is this a good fit? And not just, is this a good fit overall? Is this a good fit now? We're each at different times in our life. You know, the, the candidate, the, the, the potential auditioner is at a different time in their life. Uh, and we as a company evolving are at a different time in our life. And in a year, those could be drastically different. Or, or you know, two years ago, they may have been different. So we're very open and real to the concept that, look, this may be a good fit for both of us. And that's what we're trying to find out. But then in addition to that, we are going to do a six-month check-in with every team member to say, this is what we discussed six months ago. This is what you, you know, we expected of you, you expected of us. We want you to be joyful when you're doing your work. Are you still joyful with the things that you're doing? And if they're not, let's do a role reassignment. Let's let's try to pull out the things that don't bring you joy and let's, you know, make some changes. For us, that's everything. If we can consistently twice a year do a check-in to make sure you are getting joy every day you're you're doing what you're doing, I think that's about all we can do to be a, a good partner, a, a good place to work. So Yeah, I love that. Well, since you brought up joy, there's a last question I like to ask everybody at the end of the show and with the joy piece i'm going to put a little twist on it normally the question is you know what do you do to recharge to refill your battery to keep going because especially in certain seasons entrepreneurship small business can be very very tiring and taxing but the twist on the question is you know what do you do to to restore your joy to you know to keep that that joy meter filled you know, on a, on a regular basis? There are probably two things. One, you know, I get to work from home a lot. And so working from home, I, you know, I mentioned before we got rolling, I have a couple of dogs and and their puppy version. So one is I will just get out of the house and I'll go walk them. Uh, There's a big little loop we have. And, and, you know, with a 15, 20 minute 
recharge or a 20 minute, 15, 20 minute, get out of here, go breathe, go inhale, even on a day to day, like, you know, in the twenties and low thirties, it just gives me a chance to go reset during the business day. But the other thing I I do, and I always say this to my wife and, and my staff in the hectic world of our phones and and way too many ways to get a hold of people and social media, when I go visit with an elderly client, I can silence that phone before I go in and just get lost in the appointment with that that senior client. Asking them questions and, and getting into their story and why they're thinking of moving and the family dynamics and the potential challenges that they're about to face. I can literally push out anything that is that was haunting me prior and it just goes away. I, I think that is my my special, my joy time is just connecting one-to-one with that that client, that elderly client to say, hey, what what's up and, and what's about to come. It just, for some reason, it, it just recharges my batteries and I get geeked up because I know there is actually a way to alleviate, you know, some of their concerns and their fears. And so for me, just sitting with that client one-on-one and learning about their, their situation that brings me a ton of joy. Yeah. I, I love hearing that, especially, I mean, a lot of the, the folks that I'm interviewing like you and, and others that have, in some cases, they have 100 and 125 employees, you know, and it, when they started, it was, it was just them and one or two other people. And, you know, so there's a lot of, in a, in a way, there's a lot of layers between them and, and the client or the customer. And I think I've, I've heard consistently like a similar insight to what you're sharing. And that's, um, how do I stay in touch with as, as the CEO, as the president with like what our clients experience, what our customers experience actually is. And I, it seems like it probably keeps a lot of people going like that are in your shoes because it helps you to stay in touch with, you know, why are we doing this in the first place? Especially when you've, you know, you've delegated and you've built a team that do a lot of the things that you used to, and you're working on other projects for the company, but it, would you say like it helps to keep you in touch with the client and what's actually oh, needed? Yeah, without question, uh, without question, because also the industry where we're at is changing a lot too. I mean, let, let's be candid. COVID really threw a ripple at us, turned turned everything on its head. I mean a lot of our referral business comes from came from the communities and all of a sudden one day we're going in and out of them and the next day the doors are locked and so you know and since then it's continued to just change in light years with with different communities trying to do different things to serve the, the residents and so so there is a constant change and so I do feel like every time I'm out or I'm with a, a family or, a, or even a community talking about a family, I'm learning new stuff. Uh, so I think it's vital. And, and I, I get it. The bigger we get, the, the more successful we are, the, the, the harder that will be. So I hopefully that is one thing I can always do is, is be able to go back and find my, my joy, my joy meeting with uh, the senior clients. Yeah. Well, I, I love that's a great place to end. I think just to 
a reminder for people like you that have started something and grown something of just like just remembering that why you got into it in the first place and reconnecting with that and finding joy in that it's it's just so important because that you're right like that's what sustains us over a period of time even in the ups and downs of in a business of great seasons of high growth and revenue and low seasons with you know seeing revenue dwindle it's just you become focused more on that rather than you know what's what's most important so that's a great place to end and I appreciate your time today and sharing your passion um, for what you do. It, it's so evident. And um, if people want to get in touch with you and Halo, where would you point them? Uh, they can certainly find out uh, just going to Halo Senior Solutions. Uh, our website tells them uh, everything they need. And from there, uh, our contact information is on their phone or email. And certainly they can follow me on LinkedIn uh, or our Halo Senior Solutions Facebook page. Awesome. We'll we'll include that in the show notes as well. And um, again, Todd, thank you so much for your time today. And um, that is a wrap for today's episode of Savage the Stage. So, well, I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening to today's interview. To view show notes or hear more episodes, please visit www.savagetosage.com. <laughs>